Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the CGMRadio.com network. Today on episode four, we're introducing you to the eclectic nature of Bob's show by airing a repeat from his broadcast show, which is a radio dialogue between himself and Kenneth Leonard, who, at the time, was PR director for the San Diego State Secular Student Alliance. Although categorized as a debate, this program is more of an informal, friendly, respectful discussion between two men with different viewpoints. Topics of the discussion include, does the human conscience point to some kind of God? Was God commanding evil actions to the ancient Israelites when he ordered them to conquer other nations? Do the New Testament and Old Testament condone slavery? For the challenges and Bob's answers to these important questions, make sure to stay tuned for this thought-provoking discussion. And make sure to subscribe to The Bob Siegel Show by searching for it in your favorite podcasting app or by visiting cgmradio.com slash bob. And now, here's your host, Christian apologist, Bob Siegel. So, you'd like to believe in God, but get frustrated when you ask Christians some of the most basic questions. How can a loving God allow pain and suffering in the world? How can a loving God send people to hell? How do I know God even exists? And if some kind of God does exist, why should I believe he's the God of the Bible? Why not the God of the Bhagavad Gita or some other scriptures? And then when you ask your Christian friends for answers, they often say, not all of them, but many of them often say, well, brother, you have to accept it by faith. Okay, I am a Christian myself, but let me take the skeptic's side for a moment. When Christians give you that answer, it's a lousy answer. Yes, you heard me correctly. Let me say it again. When Christians give you that answer, it's a lousy answer. It's a horrible answer. And yet, with that answer, Bible-believing Christians add, you must accept Jesus or you won't go to heaven. Well, who wants to miss out on heaven? Who wants to end up in hell? Nobody. On the other hand, what if heaven doesn't even exist? What if Jesus doesn't exist? What if God doesn't exist? Let's be straight here. Life is short. Why dedicate your life to something that may not actually be true? And when Christians claim something is true without being willing to offer a shred of evidence, it is entirely unfair. Well, if you have been following this radio show over the years, you have already heard me say many times that in the first century, Jesus' followers did not define faith as a blind leap in the dark. They did not define faith the way Webster's Dictionary often defines it today. They defined faith as obedience. As for knowing whether or not God existed, they assumed one could meet and encounter God. One of the 12 disciples of Jesus, John, one of the eyewitnesses to the things that happened, said, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit that he gave us. But of course, what you experience from God is between you and God. Is there something more objective that everybody can see? Well, God left us a trail of breadcrumbs there too. And the apostle Paul put it perfectly when he talked confidently about the resurrection of Christ as though it were a fact and said that his own preaching was useless and worthless if if it wasn't based on something that really actually happened. Never did Paul say, we got to just go, golly, I have no idea whether Jesus exists, but I'll just go ahead and Follow him anyway, and when I die, if it turns out I was right and there is a Jesus, God will reward me for having been so gullible and for blindly following something. No, in the first, uh, in first Corinthians, the first epistle to the Corinthians, in the 15th chapter, Paul said, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith, 
we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Welcome to our sanctuary, a sanctuary for skeptics and doubters. Doubt is not a four-letter word on this program. In fact, we actually hired a team of experts to count the letters in the word. Doubt is actually a five-letter word. Go figure. If you have doubts about Christianity or any religion, your doubts are very understandable. If it makes a difference, I myself was not brought up in the church. I was raised as a Jewish atheist, but I committed my life to Jesus during my second year of college, not because of faith, but because of facts. My guest today, and we're very happy to have him, is Kenneth Leonard. Now, Kenneth and I knew each other a number of years ago. I had written a couple of plays for Christian Youth Theater, very big youth theater all over the country, but they started here in El Cajon, California. Kenneth was involved with all kinds of CYT productions, and I do remember him as having been extremely talented, not only as an actor, but a singer and dancer as well. But Kenneth has not limited himself to the world of theater. He is the current PR director for the San Diego State University Secular Student Alliance. He recently debated Jed Smock. If you've ever been out on a secular college campus from coast to coast, oh, we've all seen Jed Smock. He recently debated Jed Smock at SDSU regarding the existence of God as defined by Christianity. Kenneth was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division of the U.S. Army from 2007 to 2011 and was raised in a conservative Christian home, but now considers himself to be an atheist. Kenneth Leonard, welcome to our program. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're very glad to have you. Kenneth, it might interest you to know I actually debated Jed Smock, too. I like the guy. It wasn't a a formal debate, but I challenged him because my my main problem with Jed was how he was saying things. You certainly didn't see the love of Christ. There was yelling and screaming, and he talked a lot more about hell than I think he needed to. But he also... um, was talking as though he had reached a point of sinless perfection. And that's yeah. where I, I mean, most of the time I had trouble with the way he was saying things, but if I had to have had a theology from Jed, um, the Bible does not teach that we reach sinless perfection in this life. And when people like Jed say they reach it, they usually mean, I don't drink, I don't yeah. smoke, I don't sleep around, but little things like character, like the motives of your heart, the stuff sure. Jesus spent more time talking about, uh, he didn't get as much of that from him. He told me that he hasn't sinned in 30 years. He said he hasn't sinned in 30 years. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I found that hard to believe. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, all you have to do is listen to him for five minutes and you find it impossible. To sure. You know, there's, you know, there's some pride issues and stuff. I mean, he's, he seemed like a, a nice enough guy to me. He's I, sincere. He is. And, he and, is a sincere and I, I object to the way that many uh, students have, have interacted with him. I think he's met with uh, a level of, of disrespect and ridicule. It's not fair. Uh, you know, we should be able to discuss things rationally. He should be able to come out and discuss things rationally. I would say that I don't always hearing him discuss things rationally. But, yeah. uh, I, I, but he, he has a right. People have a right to be heard. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a good experience with him. Uh, we actually met up a couple days after the debate and were able to actually discuss theology for no, about Was this a formal debate hours. with a moderator? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many people can do that? Oh, gosh. Maybe maybe 50. That's for, uh, Well, that's terrific. Not too bad. Yeah. And that was out at SDSU? It was. It? Okay, yeah. well, that sounds great. Well, listen, uh, Kenneth uh, emailed me, I think it was a couple of months ago, yeah. said he uh, that when I knew him, he was a Christian. He's uh, He does not consider himself to be a Christian anymore. So what I'd like to do is give you maybe about five minutes or so to just explain. I'm curious, two questions. Why were you a Christian before? Was it just because of your upbringing, or did you make a decision to become a Christian for any reason? And what caused you to change your mind? I think those would be two sure. great questions to start yeah. with. Well, 
uh, for starters, you know, I, I was raised in a, in a Christian home, like you said. Um, I would say that the, the cultural and uh, you know, social aspects of, of Christianity were something that I grew up with. And uh, my, my beliefs, I'd say, didn't become personal until I was 12 or 13 years old. And there was a group of men in my church that took an active role in trying to uh, mentor me. And what church um, was this? It was Grace Fellowship. Church. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, a lot of really, really great guys, a lot of very sincere uh, people with, that were, you know, from, from my perspective, you could look at them and say that their lives had been transformed by their relationships with Jesus. Um, and I wanted that. So I, uh, I, I for many years, uh, felt like I had a, a strong personal relationship with, with Christ. And okay. what, what led me out of that, uh, somewhat ironically, was uh, Bible study. Um, points of theology that were discussed you know, with me by, by members of my church um, started to have me questioning the character of the God of the Bible. Um, and, and the tipping point was in starting to gain an understanding of, of points of Calvinism. And there were men in my church that, that were Calvinists that spoke with me about... Okay, now let's just stop for a moment. Sure. All right, I do want to hear what you have to say, but not everybody that listens to our show is a Christian. So a sure, Calvinist sure. is somebody who believes in a doctrine called predestination, and they believe that God decides ahead of time who will be saved and mm-hmm. who isn't, that we don't actually have a choice, and that the Spirit of God kind of forces us against our will to become Christians. Now, let me just go on record as saying, I don't I don't uh, fault you at all for disagreeing with that doctrine. I don't believe it's a correct doctrine, okay. and I don't believe it's really taught in the Bible. It's very common for people to hear these biblical theologies. Sure. And of course, there's a scripture they'll read you. But oftentimes yeah. the scripture is taken out of context. But anyway, I'm going to let you continue. But I just wanted to flag that because I know By all means, some, yeah. somebody in the audience is going, Calvinist, sure. what the heck is a Calvinist? Yeah. So and 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 I, you know, as a as a teenager, was going same questions. What what is this? And and so I'm looking at at Bible passages where people are showing me, you know, Ephesians one and Romans nine, and going, yeah, you know, God reaches out to you and and touches your heart, and you, you know, free will is is a, an illusion and these kind of things. And I'm thinking this doesn't make sense with my, you know. I don't know if it's, I'd say, presuppositions about the character of God, but it led me to a place where I wanted to read more. So I started to reread the Bible with a a more... More of an analytical... Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, you know, I read through the, the Bible in its entirety uh, several times. Did, oh, you made it through Leviticus? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I was very committed to it. All that uh, stuff about scraping up the mildew off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fun, and, fun reading. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, to gain a deeper understanding of... God's character within a context of the entire book, and was a little bit you know, horrified. Uh, I, you know, reading through Levitical laws and things can be a little bit of a freaky experience, um, and especially when not looked at within the context of the entire work. Um, yes, certainly. I mean, taken out of context. Sure, yeah. sure. So, but what I what I found was a God that, from from my limited position of understanding, was vindictive and angry and jealous. And I didn't, I didn't understand that. Um, so, you know, long story short, I, I, I came to a point with the God of the Bible of questioning his goodness. And then f- from there, it wasn't hard to go, well, I don't necessarily believe that the God of the Bible is the one true God, moving to a more of a deist position. Um, and now a deist is somebody who believes that 
um, God exists, but he takes a dispassionate interest. And he's kind of like the watchman who winds up a clock sure. and then yeah. and then sits back. So you were still a theist for a while, but more of the deist yeah. variety. Yeah, and I still read the Bible. I still found comfort in the, the teachings of that, that I'd grown up with. Um, I still look to the Bible for, for my moral code, but that started to become problematic over time. And uh, then as I, as I started to be more interested in science— and uh, history, uh, I ultimately just determined that I felt like I was holding on to the idea of a God more for comfort than because I had real reasons to believe in it. Um, and once I realized that, I said, well, I, until I've got a better reason for believing in it, I'll, take, I'll move from deist to, to an agnostic side of an atheist worldview. Okay, now I was going to ask you, because I know in your email you said atheist, but as sure. I'm listening to you, you do sound more like an agnostic, well, when he just says, and, and I'm saying yeah. that as a compliment, because I actually believe that the agnostic is a very sound intellectual sure. position. I mean, I, I believe it's a journey, and that the journey could come to a conclusion, but I think an agnostic who says, hey, I, I don't know, I'm going to look at both sides, don't I think know. that's a very fair yeah. position. To, to say you don't know, or even aren't capable of knowing, I think is reasonable, Um but I would say that in light of, of, of a lack of, of evidence, from my perspective, that atheism is the most reasonable worldview, um, it, to me, you know, belief is something that, that you actively engage in. So at this stage, you know, I don't engage in any belief. So I, I think it's, it's intellectually honest to label myself as an Okay, atheist. and let's... Um... I promise, I hopefully this will be the last term I define, no, sure. but I'm very aware a lot of people listen to our shows because we do politics and other things, and, and I don't want to leave people out. I don't I don't want to have these theological discussions that people don't know what we're talking about. Um, a lot of times people run into somebody and they say, oh, I'm an atheist, and they just mean they don't believe in God. And sometimes they haven't even thought about it, but they wouldn't say they're an agnostic. They'd say, I don't believe in God. But then there are people that actually organize into atheist or humanist societies and they have a different definition of atheist, which sounds like the definition I'm hearing from you, Kenneth, but correct me if I'm mistaken, because I don't wish to misrepresent you. Oh, the atheists that I've done formal debates with would say, well, like the agnostic, I, I, I'm intellectually honest enough to admit that I don't know for sure. I suppose it's possible that God exists. However, I have examined every argument that Christians put forth or everyone that I'm aware of for the existence of God. I found them all lacking. If I ever find a better one, sure, I'll look at it. But for now, it looks to me like the more rational position is that God doesn't exist. Is that the way Absolutely. you would define yeah. yourself? I, mean, okay. I, I could be convinced. Absolutely. And there okay. are people that close their minds to that. And I, I think that that's sad. Well, I so. I want to say right from the start, you seem like a very open person. And I, I can see we're going to have a mutually respectful conversation, which a lot sure. of people don't have these days. So if you're out yeah. there listening, if you're a Christian... If you're an atheist, I hope we can all just appreciate these days in this politically correct culture. On some universities, debates are virtually unheard of or these frowned days. Upon. Yeah. yeah, and there are some atheists out there that are trying to silence Christians from speaking. And I know that throughout history, there have been Christians that have tried to silence atheists from speaking. It's very much to Kenneth's credit that he's willing to come in here and have a discussion instead of just going off on some hmm. angry time. So, my friend, I commend you, and well, thank I thank you, you for coming. Yeah. Now, having said that, I'm going to rip Absolutely. your thing. No, no, yeah. no. <laughs> little rip them to shreds. Gloves not, are no, off now. Not, yeah. not really. No, <laughs> gloves are not off at all. But let's, um, there's so many things we talked about, and I should tell our audience that uh, Kenneth and I decided we'd kind of talk in general today. 
there's we you know we could we've already discussed ten different that we could have a whole sure. discussion. Yeah. Would a loving God do the things in Leviticus? Would a loving God send people to hell? But um, for now, let's just say um, I've done some debates on just uh, does it make sense to believe in some kind of deity. But I also know that you have reasons for not believing in the biblical deity. Which of those two subjects would interest you more for us to talk about today? Or we could even do maybe start in general and then move to the other one, depending on how on how we go. But but we don't have to get through it all today. Sure, sure. Because I can already tell you it's going to be someday I'm going to want to invite back and sure, I think we yeah. have more of these discussions. Well, you know, I started specific and went broad in my in my personal focus in relation you to... You started with the Bible yeah. and then went broad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you wanted to start today, we could, you know, talk about the Bible. I love talking about the Bible. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. So um, let's see. Let me tell you a couple of reasons why I believe... Well, no, let's... Let me, I'll let you go. Tell me... You, you talked in general. Um, one of the things that... Or a collection of things that made you stop believing in the Bible is you were, you were saying... Uh, the God of the Bible is not a moral God. I, well, moral in the sense that of that I would define good. I know there are different schools of thought on that. You know, there there are you know guys like you know, William Lane Craig would say the divine command theory means that whatever God does is intrinsically good, and I I have a hard time accepting that. I, I judge the God of the Bible by my social moral code. So uh, you know, as a, as a American in the 21st century, I look at the actions of the God of the Bible, and it's hard for me to go, that's, you know, a good guy. Okay. Now, I had an interesting debate with a, an atheist one time. His name was Dan Barker, and we were talking about the God of the Bible, but uh, I had pointed out earlier in the debate that when we talk about good and evil, and I hear atheists say this all the time, and I think you would say this too, Kenneth, that I don't need the Bible to have morals. I don't need the Bible to be good. And I, I completely agree with that. Okay. But what I mean when I say that is that even if a person has not read the Bible, they have a conscience. Something was put in and programmed into their DNA and we, we know right from wrong. Now, granted, culture to culture, you have different views of what's right and wrong, but one permeates all cultures. And that is that we seem to have something inside of us teach, telling us that we should treat other human beings with dignity and respect. Now, a, a different culture might disagree. Let, let's say, uh, let's take a look at some of the cultures in the Middle East and compare them to America. We sometimes disagree as to what is or is not a respectful action, mm-hmm. but we're still agreeing that we should be respectful. One illustration would be in, in some cultures, it's considered polite if you're invited to somebody's house to belch and burp during sure. the meal. In America, we would consider that impolite. So sometimes my moral relativist friends would go, well, see, that just proves that we, we don't all have the same conscience. We don't have a conscience that came from God. And I'd say, no, no, no. What we constantly call the golden rule, and I've never made, met an atheist who doesn't claim that he goes by the golden rule. We, we should treat other people in a loving way, in a respectful way, in an unselfish way. Uh, and But culture to culture, we might have different mores or customs that develop. And okay, they consider that respectful. We consider that disrespectful. What they agree with is we should have respect. Um, Americans argue about whether we should have gone to Iraq and fought the war. Well, maybe they didn't really have weapons of mass destruction. So maybe, you know, maybe Bush lied. Maybe he was the evil one. But that still assumes going into the conversation a framework of good and evil. We're just arguing about whose pocket the good is in and sure. the evil is in. So I would I would argue that 
even to go to, getting back to my friend Dan Barker, he was claiming there really was no such thing as right and wrong, but he couldn't claim it consistently because his his whole argument for putting down Christianity was to show how evil the God of the Bible was. And he, he said, that, yeah. God, that God of the Old Testament, he's an evil God. I said, well, how could that be, Dan? You just told us 10 minutes ago there's no such thing as good and Where, evil. Where's your grounding? Yeah, so like statement. when someone yeah, says, no. well, how could a loving God allow good and evil? The point is, if there were not some kind of God, would you agree that good and evil are just opinions that we came up with, perhaps collectively as human beings, but if we're here through randomness and chance, if we're just a lot of slop that accidentally evolved to some higher order, and even terms like higher and lower become relative terms now, if we're here by randomness and chance, then you could say, I think it's wrong to hit somebody on the head. I think it's wrong to pull a pencil out of somebody's hand. We could get even more dramatic. I think it's wrong to murder. I think it's wrong to rape. I think slavery's wrong. I think racism is wrong. Couldn't somebody technically come along at any time and say, well, Just your opinion. it's your opinion. And if there's no God, there's no tiebreaker. Whereas on the, on the other hand, we could say, but maybe there's something in our conscience. Maybe our joint intuitive awareness of right and wrong finds origin in some kind of being, not necessarily the God of the Bible, not, not at this stage of the conversation, but, but some kind of being who's literally going to hold us accountable someday. Sure. Well, and, and the question of accountability is huge, but I think that morality um, is a collective process. Um, I know that there are uh, neuroscientists that would argue that morality has, has been an evolved trait that has helped humanity uh, get along better. Uh, it's what advances us as a, as a group. Um, and I think that that's, that seems like a reasonable answer to me. And, in reference to the, the the idea of a golden rule, you know, to treat people generally with some measure of equality, I think that you do see that across the board. But an interesting point there is is that there are cultural differences largely derived from religious differences in terms of how you define your fellow man. Uh, in you know, you you brought up Middle Eastern culture, and you know, a, a female may not necessarily right. be an equal human being. Um, yeah, but let me ask you a question. And this is just to Kenneth. Sure. How do you feel about the, what is your opinion of the Middle East having that kind of view of women? You would say that's wrong. I would. Okay. I would. But I I would say that it's wrong because it holds their society back. Um, But then to say that, you'd say then there's this standard called not holding a society back that our conscience is telling us we should follow, wouldn't we? Yeah, or or of advancing us as as a species. Right. But supposing... Okay, you and I are talking. Let's we're not Bob and Kenneth, but we'll call ourselves Bob and Kenneth for the sake of this conversation. Okay. Let's say we're we're, on, we're shipwrecked on some desert island and we're just talking. And uh, I decide that because there are only so many coconuts, the prudent thing for me to do with my survival instinct is is to kill you. But I'm polite enough to inform you I'm going to do you, kill you ahead of time. Uh, now, do you have a moral imperative to talk me out of doing that? Would, would you be? Would you say, Bob, that's wrong, or would you say, Hey, chess game is a chess game. If if you're stronger, than, actually, Kenneth looks yeah. a lot stronger than me. So well, that's, the, that's why. That's why in the analogy, I made myself the bad guy. The, well, and th- it'd be an interesting question because my morality could say, you know, as an unselfish act, absolutely, I want you to survive. Or my morality could say, I think that I'm the best person to move the species forward, so I'm going to resist your, you know, attempt at survival. Um, right, and of course, if you resist, then it's just a question of of uh, of brute strength. But you, yeah. but 
to to say it would be wrong to kill me yeah i could then say well that's just your opinion correct Sure. Or you could say, you know, that, that's an agreed upon social uh, construct and we're not in society. We're on a desert island in our own Well, this place. is, our, this yeah. is our new society. Um, I would say that that it is it's wrong within the larger context of a society. But some of those rules get to be a little, uh, you know, flexible in, the, in that kind of an environment, I would say. OK, well, if we're going to say something's wrong, according to the larger context of society, mm. Would we then follow suit and say whatever a society agrees is moral or immoral, we we in a different society should just respect that? I would say that no. I would say that collectively there's a historical context that needs to be considered. Um, you know, again, looking at the Middle East as an example, there are things that in Western society we look at and go, that's that's wrong. But I think that that's a learned position on our part. We We have that understanding based on you know, our okay. experiences. Because collectively, we'd probably agree that societies have been wrong more than they've been right. Uh, for, for most of the history oh, of sure. human beings, yeah. up till 100 yeah. years ago, slavery permeated almost every culture. Sure, and yeah. Uh, and, but we look back and we say, okay, it doesn't matter how many millions of people believed in slavery, doggone it, it was wrong. Wouldn't, um, wouldn't a moral relativist, though, have to say, technically, I can only say, in my opinion, it's wrong. I can't really say it's wrong. It, it would have to be an opinion, uh, but at the same time, it's an opinion that would go against books like the Quran and, and the Bible. You know, right. slavery is one of those things. Right. That, and I'm a as real a society. I, we, we and I'm a real position and I'm a real one subject at a time. So let's oh, put sure, a flag sure. on yeah, that yeah. and we'll get to the Bible. Um, and I know you actually said start with the Bible, but when you started talking about the morality of the Bible, oh, yeah, it, seemed, yeah, yeah. it seemed prudent to back up a step no, yeah, here. Yeah, that's right. um, so. But you're agreeing then that we're offering an opinion. I, I talked to a guy one time, and he's, he, his way around this was he talked about what's commonly called the wolf pack theory, that what years ago the first caveman or whoever agreed that in order to survive, they should treat each other with mutual respect, mm. not because there's some conscience or code that comes from God, but just because that's, that's the practical thing to do. The problem is oftentimes the practical thing to do is not the moral thing to do, sure. like on the island, like when they knock on doors and say, turn in your Jewish friends or we kill you. Yeah. According to the survivor instinct, they ought to be turning in their Jewish friends, but they still feel guilt. Yeah. And I think you would yeah. say that guilt comes from society and it's kind of been well, yeah. drummed and, into and us. With, with regards to, you know, the wolf pack type of an argument, you know, right now Islam is growing really, really fast. And if if Islam was to wipe out every other relation or every other religion on the face of the earth, it wouldn't it wouldn't become Right. And I think that over time, society would have to make these adjustments or it would just destruct or we'd revert, you know, back to. But see, you just said something very interesting. Yeah. And, and I don't mean this as a gotcha. I mean it as a compliment because I can tell by talking to you that you are a person of very high moral caliber. And I'm not just saying that you, you seem to be a person of high conscience, a person that seeks truth. You just said something and I 100 percent agree with you. Islam could conquer the world, or we could say some other yeah, bad anything, ideology sure. could conquer the world that wouldn't make it right. If the Nazis had conquered the world, that wouldn't make them right. If the communists conquered the world, that wouldn't make them right. But the moment you say make them right, you're articulating this standard that permeates cultures. And yet earlier you were saying, well, this standard was kind of developed but that's what by I mean. the culture. That, that, yeah, that, but that's exactly what I mean. The The idea of, of that rightness would be that they're... they're religious extremism and we could use any any ideology at all really um if it was to be completely dominant wouldn't make it correct or true 
Um, and in terms of establishing a moral collective code for society, it would be disastrous. I agree with you, but it still is begging the question, is it not, where did this moral code come from? Because I believe you could get a Buddhist, a Christian, a Muslim, an atheist, and an agnostic all in the same room, and they're going to agree in general. Again, I don't mean different social mores. They're going to agree in general, I should not be hurting or harming my fellow man. And you said something very interesting. You said, but some of these cultures, they redefine what it means to be human. Yes. You know why? Because... When our conscience tells us how we should treat people, but people don't want to treat the sure. person that yeah. way, what we do is we say, oh, well, when we say human yeah. beings, we, didn't mean, mean, those we guys. mean white human yeah. beings, we mean male human beings, yeah. we don't mean Jews, we mean Gentile human beings. We, we change our theology because the moment we admit that it's a human, that's like in the abortion argument. Uh, people are arguing about everything, but whether or not this is a life. Mm. If it's a life, we know what's right. It's not a life, and someone wants to make that case, I'll, I'll listen to them. But when people don't even want to argue about whether it's a life, it sounds like they're saying, uh, well, I don't live up to this. See, I think the fact that we as human beings don't live up to this conscience, when I said we all have it, I'm not making the case that we all obey it. Quite the contrary. And now we will bring the Bible in for a moment. The Bible's whole message is that we don't obey yep. this very well. I think the fact that human beings disobey their conscience so doggone much is one of the greatest arguments that it came from something outside of ourselves. Because if we were just going to invent it, wouldn't we invent something that we liked? And a lot of times I like being selfish, but I have a conscience telling me sure. not to be. Sure. Wouldn't yeah. we invent something that we could live up to better? It, you know, it, it, that's, a great, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know that, that we can look at, it, say, say consciousness, say uh, morality did evolve. I think that you could look to the rest of the world as an example, because I mean, coming from the position of an evolutionist of, of another imperfect thing that isn't fully complete yet. Um, right. And yet the minute we say imperfect, we're assuming a standard of perfection. When we say incomplete, we're assuming a standard of completeness. Mm -hmm. And, and that seems to argue against the, the randomness and chance. Wouldn't it? You mean in terms of evolution? Yeah, no, and I should say, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, Kenneth, because yeah. I can tell you're a very bright guy. There are a lot of theistic evolutionists. Oh, yeah, sure. Hypothetically, if somebody proved evolution tomorrow, we could still ask the question, did this evolutionary process start by chance or did, or did some creator set it in prime motion? prime mover type of, sure. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and so, so I don't know if, I don't, I know you said that science had a lot to do with some of your criticisms of the Bible. I, um, I. I, I believe there are some problems with the theory of evolution, not microevolution, but macroevolution. Mm -hmm. I believe there's some problems with, but hypothetically, somebody could prove that we evolved exactly the way evolutionists say we did. It wouldn't contradict the way Genesis chapter one was, was written. And that's what I find kind of interesting. And it still begs the greater question of what started that in process. Because if, if, if we really are evolving from a lower order to a higher order, that's a pretty amazing thing that sure. evolutionists haven't really explained. I mean, we have the fairy tale of the frog that becomes a handsome prince. You give a frog to an evolutionist a couple of billion years, that frog becomes a handsome prince too, with, without explaining exactly how it happened. I need to give you a chance to respond. Go ahead. Oh, well, you know, I think that when you, when you, people have a, a, I think a misconception of evolution when they use words like uh, random. Um, evolution, to, you know, to my understanding, and I'm not a biologist, but. And I'm not either. There's, so. there's. If there's a mutation that is profitable, it gets to stick around. And if there's a mutation that is not profitable, 
it, it dies out. So there's a, a process of elimination that is regular and not random um, in terms of what mutations get to. And within microevolution, um, species developing within the species, different kinds of birds, different types of reptiles, we do observe that. That's why I said microevolution is observable. Mm -hmm. Macroevolution has has not been observed. But still, when we're talking about things, I I realize that evolutionists, even, even evolutionists that are not theistic ones, they'll say, no, 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 it doesn't happen according to randomness. It happens according to a process. And I understand they believe that sincerely, but they 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 usually can't comment on how, how that process came about. Sure, and yeah. all, all of the cosmological you know arguments in terms of relating to um, to creationism are are great uh, to talk about, and, th- and that's another place where I kind of was led further down the path to being a, a godless heathen with <laughs> with uh, you know when, when people talked about a prime mover because that's. When I transitioned from from being a Christian, which is a believing, you know, I believed in a very specific God that answered my prayers and you know monitored my activities and listened to me and and all that kind of stuff. To going well, there was a a prime mover. You, you mentioned the idea of this kind of clockmaker God. Um, I really liked that prime mover idea. And one day I I, I came to think of it and who, go, who moved the mover? Well, yeah. I didn't really go with who moved the mover. I I, I find that you know. I think that's a weak argument that atheists make. Um, you know, if you're dealing with a all-powerful God, the type of God that's described in the Bible, then who moved the mover becomes a non-issue. Um, you know, people, got, you know, who made God? Well, then who made whoever made God? And, and going this endless loop, the only thing that would make sense would be for there to be an eternal God that existed outside of time and space and was bigger than anything we could even define. And I, I, I'm, I'm great with that. But for me to go, you know, there's a model of a, of a Big Bang you know, for example, and people would say, well, who did the big banging and would say, well, you know, is there people that go, well, God did. Um, I have an easier time going, I don't know who what, or what was before that. You know what I mean? So when I when I go into that, you know, type of God of the gaps type of mentality, I found that to be uh, a hollow uh, standpoint personally uh, to where I, I, I found it to be easier for me to just start saying, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I, I can appreciate where you're coming from. We, yeah. we don't want to just quickly say God to fill in gaps. Likewise, and I'm sure you'd probably agree with this. People will quickly say nature or evolution. Yeah. And they'll use, uh, and, and, they'll, and they'll use it to cover up their yeah. gaps. But, but when you say, Hey, I, I, I just don't know. I, I think that's a very respectful, intellectually sincere position. So I appreciate that. And I think, uh, and you kind of alluded to this, but l- let me just mention this and then we can get more into the Bible. Sure, yeah. Uh, since uh, I stymied us for half an hour with other things. Oh, but we're, uh, we're having fun though, it's good. It's, no, it is fun. Yeah. And uh, uh, when somebody says, if God created me, who created God, that is a relevant question within the boundaries of time and space. As you suggested yourself, if God exists outside of time. Depending on how you define the God, yeah. it and becomes relevant. And quantum physics yeah. is saying things about time and space that the Bible was saying about God and time and space uh, 2,000 years ago, which I find very interesting. But now, um, when uh, when I discuss the subject of apologetics, which is the, the word that's used for defending Christianity with facts, they break down into two types. Academic apologetics, um, is there reasons historically, archaeologically, mm. um, perhaps scientifically? Does it make sense rationally and philosophically for the Bible? It sounds like you are more concerned and, and have, have more questions about what I'd call 
the moral apologetics, which kind of says, even if we don't state it, we say, well, hypothetically, if this were the word of God, and we're not saying it was, it is, but hypothetically, if this were the word of God, the God I'm reading about in there is an immoral God. What would it say about that? Would those that be deity? the kinds of co- questions that concern you more than the that's, academic ones? That's been, well, that's been my primary uh, focus, uh, you know, because I'm not a scientist. Uh, things, you know, history is fascinating to me, but I like wrestling more with the philosophical. Okay, well then let's personally. do let's do that. Sure. Um, uh, why don't you start listing uh, some things one at a time about the God of the Bible that you consider immoral? And uh, I'll respond and tell you why I don't view them as, a, as an immoral God. And, you know, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. So let's um, just go down the list. Well, I mean, and there's for, no hurry. We can start the list and continue it some other way. Sure. Well, for starters, you know, the idea of, of slavery, um, when, when Paul talks about relationships between believers, non-believers, believers in each other, you know, husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, masters, I think that something that if, if I had seen in the Bible, you know, in a, in a document that was produced when slavery was popular, a a religious leader saying slaves, or not even addressing the slaves, masters, like slaves go. To me, that would be a great proof that it came from somewhere outside of, you know, first century social norms. Um, but when I look at the Bible and I see slaves obey your masters, um, and the question of whether slavery is immoral isn't brought up, uh, that would be one one small example, you know, people jump into, you know, genocide and Leviticus and want to talk about these things. I, but there's there's a lot of small things that I I've yeah. focused on just because I've read the Bible so many times. Yeah, let's do the small um, things. Then we'll get into all that sure. genocide stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK, well, well, I would say that's a very legitimate objection. But more correctly put, the way I would state it is it would be a legitimate objection, if not for the fact that in the New Testament, slavery is condemned by the Apostle Paul in three different places. One of them is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, one of them is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, one of them is 1 Timothy chapter 1, and one of them is Galatians chapter 3. Now, did this same Paul say, slaves obey your masters? Yes, and there's a reason for that the apostles did that, and as you know, when we're reading um, some of the New Testament, like the Gospels, we're reading historical records. When we read the epistles, epistles meant letters. We're, re- we're reading other people's mail. Sure. And sometimes we don't get the complete thing. If I sent you an email, like let's say uh, after the show, I sent you an email and said, hey, Kenneth, uh, great job. Got to go now. I'm so hungry I can eat a horse. You don't really believe I'm going to go People eat a horse. People in 2,000 years looking at it going, Yeah, but 2,000 oh, years horses. later, there's an earthquake. They uncover my hard drive. Yeah. That's the first fact they... If, as they discover other letters and other emails and hidden libraries, they realize that was just a term. Um, when when Jesus was asked, and Jesus, of course, is who all these guys are following, when he was asked to declare that they should not pay taxes to the Romans, he said something that surprised some of the Jewish zealots who wanted to pick up the sword and have a violent revolution. He said, give Caesar what is Caesar Give God what is God. He wanted Christianity to be a peaceful revolution, more along the lines of what Gandhi did, uh, even though Gandhi wasn't around yet, Gandhi seemed to grasp that idea. Uh, in First in Peter, Peter lists certain institutions that exist in this world that are not necessarily ideal institutions, but he said for testimony's sake, uh, so that we don't become, it was implied, so that we don't become a violent revolution, he, he listed them. He said, he said, in Christ you are free. He says, as far as God is concerned, God sees you free 
from these institutions, but submit to them anyway. Um, and that because the alternative is picking up a sword. Sure. Um, and so he said, and then he gave some examples. He said like, to the king, to the governor. Then he said, slaves obey your masters. Then he said, wives obey your husbands. I'll go you one beyond slavery, Kenneth. I, sure. I believe that uh, the way a lot of evangelical Christians talk about wives submitting to their husbands, that that's the last bastion of slavery going on in the 21st century that we have not shaken off. And I believe that the passages about wives obeying their husbands and the passages about slaves obeying their masters, although they're in there, they can be taken out of context. Because if Paul over here says slaves obey your masters and Peter over here says that, but over here they're saying slavery's wrong. Paul's calling slave trading an evil. Paul says in the church, there is no status, whether you're Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. Those words were as radical and liberating and egalitarian as they had. But it is true that they came short of saying in those days, there were more slaves in Rome than citizens. For them to say slaves, take up your arms. Christianity would, tur- would have turned into a bloodbath. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, s- several millennia later, at a different time in history, that God wouldn't have approved something like a civil war. But at that time... They didn't want the message of the forgiveness of Christ to get lost. And so I, I think you're raising a very fair objection. During the pre-Civil War, just as uh, plantation owners were going to church and their pastors were preaching slaves obey your masters, it's also true, and here's where Christianity gets a lot of bad press, that the abolitionist movements started from the Christians in the North sure. who were who were going to the passages I told you about. And so, yes, the Bible's been taken out of context to condone slavery but the Bible has been put in context to condemn slavery and end slavery. Well, and it's an interesting, you know, point with regards to the Bible being on kind of either side of it. Um, because, you know, in the old Testament, there's many examples of the tribes of Israel enslaving or subjugating otherwise other nations. And that's another point with the Bible that, that, that I have difficulty with is that, you know, if you view the Bible as one, you know, complete canon and the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are, are one, um, I have a hard time reconciling the peaceful teachings. And there are peaceful teachings that people overlook um, in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament with the more violent and kind of oppressive Teachings, if they're coming from the mouth of the same okay. being. Okay, very, very understood point. But let, let me just back up, because we just leapfrogged from New Testament back to Old. You had started with um, New Testament scriptures about the apostles. Relating to slavery, uh, yeah. sure. Did, did my uh, pointing out that there were that these same apostles condemned slavery, can we just say, okay. So sure, no, so absolutely. Yeah. So we'll move on. Okay, so now, okay, I just wanted to make sure we're clear on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we'll go back to the Old Testament, and yeah, that was different. Now, in the Old Testament, there were two kinds of, there were there was a slavery, and this wasn't the Roman slavery. Um, when Israel conquered a nation, or a nation waged war against Israel, but Israel won the battle, uh, they took slaves in the sense that uh, in World War II, there were prisoner of war camps that, that all sides had. If the alternative was to exterminate these people than taking them into slavery um, as opposed to either exterminating them, A, or letting them go free again, B, which means they could attack your nation mm-hmm. again. It was a, it was a, it was a measure for, for protection. There was another kind of slavery, though, too, interestingly enough, since we brought up the Old Testament, where a Hebrew 
could hire himself out to another Hebrew and become a slave yeah. because he's so poor. But even then, God in his mercy said, okay, if somebody chooses to make a slave of himself, that's fine. But you, the slave owner, every seven years, you have to let the slaves go. And every seven years, you have to cancel all debts. And every seven years... And then every 50 years, they had what was called the year of Jubilee, Mm -hmm. which means that if somebody got a slave one year before the year of Jubilee, uh, he couldn't even wait the seven years. So there was there was a lot of mercy that was built into that, even in the Old Testament. Sure. But the the, the bigger point that that I'm trying to make, though, is that there's this idea of the same God being present throughout the whole, you know, all 66 books that at alternating times has a message of extreme violence and extreme pacifism. Um, and th- I have a hard time uh, reconciling that. You know, the same God that is all about, you know, wiping out Amalekites uh, is the same God that says, turn the other cheek. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me. And I, I, and again, very, very understandable. Um, Let's use your own life as an example. You sure. did a tour in Iraq. Now, some people become soldiers and they come home and they're anti-war. Are you? Did you become anti-war? Well, or are you? Or yeah, did I mean, you, or did, would you, what, what, what's your opinion of war? Do you think there's a there are valid cases to go to war? My opinion, it's necessary evil, um, would be the, the simplest answer. Okay, um, good, good, good. I appreciate that. I, I would probably agree with that viewpoint. Sure. So, when you had a disagreement with me today, it was a friendly, respectful disagreement. Um, the kind of disagreement that America had with Iraq or in, and Iraq had with America was of a very different nature and it involved a necessary evil. We, we as human beings recognize throughout life, it's not one size fits all. Of course. I don't talk to my girlfriend the way I talk to my best friend. I don't talk to a guy that honks on the street when he's cutting me off the, the way I talk to, to somebody else. Um, uh, Sometimes we need policemen. Sometimes we need soldiers. Um, sometimes if two countries talk, they can make sense and they can make peace and there's a place for diplomacy. Other times you have a country like Nazi Germany. You know what? It didn't matter how many times Chamberlain could have gone there and done a tap dance in front of Hitler and polished his boot. Hitler was going to do what he was going to do. But when Gandhi was dealing with the British, he knew there were people that uh, they don't want to go out and beat up uh, somebody just because they're an Indian, they're out on the street and there's a curfew, they're going to have to go home and sleep at yeah. nights. Uh-huh. Nazis could have mowed them over. So it, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Now, it, it does look pretty graphic when God tells the Israelites to go conquer the land of Canaan until he gives the reason. He says these people are worshiping other gods. That alone wasn't the problem. It was the way they worshiped the other gods. They were taking babies and offering them on the altar. They were yeah. doing evil, detestable things. The kinds of things that I think somebody like yourself, who and by, and by the way, I appreciate your service to our country. I think somebody like yourself would oh, have yeah. as much righteous I'd indignation all, in I'd those days as you have today. But at the same time, there, you know, there are psalms where people on the other side, people on the the Yahweh side, are dashing babies against rocks. Uh, it, it's uh, it's it's hard to, to make a, a concrete statement. Well, there know, were many times when the people of Israel disobeyed God. He was not commanding sure. them to go and dash. No, I understand right, that. Right, I understand right, that. Right. But, but at the same time, with relating to the way that other nations have related to each other in times of war or in peacetime, um, the benefit that the tribes of Israel allegedly had was all-powerful God was on their side. And, you know, when you look at, at a God 
that at times saw fit to make great demonstrations of power. Um, I'm, I'm in my head. I'm specifically thinking about things like parting seas and uh, when when Elijah uh, challenged the prophets of Baal, and you you've got fire coming down from heaven and consuming altars, and it's really big, powerful stuff. When you've got a God that that wants to be actively engaged in the lives and the affairs of of men, and I understand within the greater context of the Bible, who am I to question God? But I'm questioning going, why was it that at times you sent in armies to wipe out a, a tribe worshiping other gods and however they were doing it? When you have this, this not only the power, but you have the, the, the will to do these kind of displays to, to alter how people think. Yeah. You see what I'm going yeah, with? Yeah, no, it's, no, no. And, and, and again, Kenneth, um, when you say, who am I to question God? God gave you a mind and he gave you a brain. And, and my whole argument starting with was that I believe you have a conscience that came from God. Yeah. So if you did, you have a right to evaluate well, that's why things. I, I love that story where, where the prophets come out and they're asking questions because I'm a big empirical evidence kind of guy. So that's one of my favorite stories from, in the Bible from when I was a little kid to going, you know, they were like, well, where's the evidence? Where's your God? And God's like, well, here I am. I love that. And I go, you know, if, if it's the same timeless God, you know, why aren't there people up on Mount Carmel and, and doing it now? And he doesn't always you know? answer every question because if we knew everything about God, he wouldn't be much of a God. But I do sure, sure. believe that a moral question he would want to answer. It's more important to God that we understand that he's moral than it's important to God that we understand how the Trinity works. Because one's metaphysical. Absolutely. And one has to do with the way God wants us to behave. Now, um, my response to your concern about the Old Testament wars is similar to what I would, would say. Um, we brought up Calvinism mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, w- one thing that um, sometimes falsely, ironically creates whole theologies is a misunderstanding of the fact that when we read the Bible, we're reading about people that lived not only in completely different cultures who talked with completely different languages, but, a, but lived a long time ago uh, in the New Testament. In Timothy, it says women should not braid their hair or wear jewelry. No adornments. Yeah. Okay. Now, I just came from a church this morning where all kinds of women braided their hair and wore jewelry. And I wasn't going to stand up and say you're disobeying Timothy. But I've also studied first century Greece and ancient Rome. And I happen to know that that is the way a prostitute dressed in those days. So Paul's concern was modesty. Now, modesty becomes the transferable concept. If Paul were alive today, would he still tell women to dress modestly? Yes, but he might give examples of the way we would expect a prostitute to dress today, and he might not say anything. But what happens is Christians in their legalism, they go, ah, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now you, you you, you move on to Calvinism. The ancient Hebrews spoke with exaggerated hyperbole. Now, we know this. Um... Partly because we can compare, sometimes the Bible has parallel accounts, and, and one, sometimes they talk as if people are deciding to do this themselves, and God's allowing it, and other times they talk as though God did it himself, but the Hebrews, when they said God did it, they meant he allowed it, mm-hmm. and other times they just said he allowed it. We also have other ancient writings, such as the writings of Josephus, the Jewish Talmud, the writings of Philo, the Midrash contemporaries of the Bible, and that's very helpful sometimes in understanding what the writers of the Bible meant. When people don't understand God's hyperbole, then they could look at something like, uh, oh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, Okay, well, 
I've dug fence posts. You probably dug fence posts. Sure, when you yeah. stop mixing cement, what does it do? It hardens. I could say, by nature, the fact that I stopped mixing the cement, it I, I hardened it. Or I could just say the cement hardened itself. There are two different ways of saying the same thing. Just like, again, when I say I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, you immediately know what that means. And sometimes people don't want to do their homework with the Bible. Now, I don't include you in that because you strike me as somebody who would be willing to do a lot of research. And I think if you... I love reading it. I love the Bible. And I think if you started studying the way people in the ancient Near East in general and the ancient Hebrews even more specifically talk, a lot of exaggerated phrases and metaphors. And and, and so a, a theology like Calvinism becomes unnecessary, but it also applies to these Old Testament wars, because God would say yeah. things like, kill man and woman, donkey and cattle, and it was said very poetically. And here's what's interesting. Those nations that God commanded the, the Jews to destroy, they didn't destroy them. You go years later to the time of Solomon, they're all there. The Ammonites, the, the Hittites, the Jebusites, they're there. And Solomon went ahead and put them into forced servitude because he was concerned about them, but he didn't seem to feel that he needed to go finish the job that had been given to Joshua, and it toward the end of Joshua, after they conquered the land of Canaan, it says everything God told Joshua to do, he did. So what does that mean? That means Joshua didn't understand God telling them to exterminate these people, displace them, conquer them because they're offering babies on altars. Sure, but he's not, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to say these wicked people who are destroying babies, go kill them, including their babies. That that makes zero sense. When you look at the language, it does say that, you know, you're wiping out men, women, and children, even the animals. It does. In some cases. And and, and so if we looked at our English translations without understanding the exaggerated hyperbole that the ancient Hebrews used, it, it certainly does look troublesome. Thank you for joining us for the Bob Siegel Show podcast. For more about Bob Siegel, including his books, articles, and other debates, visit him online at bobsiegel.net. Make sure to subscribe to the show by searching for the Bob Siegel Show in your favorite podcasting app or by visiting cgmradio.com slash bob. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.